This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 157 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, um, it's been a few weeks since I've done a solo episode, so. As you might imagine, I've got a few odds and ends and hobby tidbits that I want to cover here at the top, uh, including some thoughts on group breaking. Then as usual, I've got another installment of Collector Classifieds, and then I'm going to save all the mail talk for the end because I've got several pieces that require more explanation, um, including an incredible gift from a listener in Australia. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Um, I want to start the odds and ends portion off with an extension of some comments I made on an Instagram story a little over a week ago. And honestly, some of this is stuff I've said before, but I think it bears repeating. So um, I was listening to an interview on Sports Card Therapist podcast recently. And by the way, if you haven't checked that show out yet, you should. I think Rob does a wonderful job of developing content um, around his vocation and his hobby experiences, which of course are unique to him. So um, it's just an all-around good fit. I wish more people would do that. I like that style of content. But um, anyway, I was listening to one of his recent episodes where he interviewed someone that I think he said he owns a shop, he promotes shows, and he hosts breaks. So, you know, this person was well-spoken, but he said something that I disagree with. And I don't know him personally. You know, he sounded like an all-around good guy, but um, I feel like this creates the opportunity for some productive dialogue. So the gist of what he said was that breakers are essential in this hobby to make sure products are getting ripped. And I know this guy, this guest on the show, you know, wears different hobby hats. So that might be how he keeps things moving for his business. But I want to present another perspective here real quick, because ironically enough, there's a surplus of available group breakers. And it seems like a lot of products aren't being opened now. So Let's go back before I even go into this. Let's, you know, once again, revisit the basic premise behind group breaking. And that was to help people afford the few high-end products that were out of reach. This was a ways back. Um, And even then, there were plenty of people that were able to afford personal breaks. It it wasn't just group breakers that busted this stuff. Um, Over time, though, this kind of convinced or, you know, you could even say enabled the card companies to release more expensive high-end products and really watered down ones at that because look at um, something like National Treasures and what it's become. It is the absolute definition of feast or famine. The feast, of course, being a few prestigious RPAs and the famine being all the Vin Baker sticker autos that come out instead. And oftentimes they're 
they feature the same pictures year to year. Um, but people could afford to take these hits for the time being because the buy-in was fractional, right? We're seeing, maybe we didn't call it that at the time, but that's what it was. We're seeing that phrase fractional being thrown around a lot. Um, and prices kept creeping up. And then, you know, that over time combined with some other factors like grading, which is a huge one, I know, but that got us to a point where people are clearing blasters off the shelves at Walmart and forcing people to buy into those fractionally because otherwise they're now priced out. Um, so all of that is to say, if you're newer to the hobby, group breaking probably seems like a great solution to this problem. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a problem that it helped create. Let me say that again. Group breaking has essentially perpetuated the problem it set out to solve. Um, and when I said that, I got a couple of other responses when I posted that story. One was someone saying that they thought sealed wax hoarders and investors were more to blame, which, you know, I thought that was a valid point. But my counter to that is this. Who are they going to sell to when the value goes up? Because the individuals are already priced out. So if things go up even more and they become even more priced out, it would likely have to go to someone that can distribute that cost, like a breaker. Um, and then speaking of distributing, someone else commented that it's the distributors that have screwed up pricing more than anyone. There's probably some truth to that, but once again, it's group breaking that's enabled that to happen. Now, you might be listening to this today and you enjoy group breaking. Um, do I fault people for group breaking? No. You know, it's your money, spend it how you want. And I've done some over the years as well. So I'm not saying necessarily that I'm anti-group breaking, but this is in response to somebody saying that, you know, these breakers are an absolute necessity in the hobby. I don't think so. You know, but yeah, at the end of the day, someone that's a group breaker themselves is probably going to say that. But in theory, these people could go away and we'd be just fine. In fact, it might even force distributors and card companies to straighten their act up as well. And the card companies would have to court collectors again and create products that actually have value and have significance. And that moves me into my next talking point today, which involves a product that breakers have been opening this week. Uh, a product that significance seems to be diminishing before our very eyes, and that's Donruss. Now, I hesitate to label this product as significant because really, it's very similar to Hoops, and you guys know Hoops sucks. Um, the two products are kind of redundant, so if Hoops sucks, Donruss sucks. But um, I'm going to label it that because it's got some lineage to it. So first off, there's the Donruss branding itself. Um, then we've seen some of the Elite parallels in there, and then it's also had the Next Day Autos for the last handful of years, and I really like the concept behind those. So I'm going to say that, yes, Donruss, in a sense, is significant. Um, now, speaking of next day, if you don't know a lot about those or you need a little refresher, check out episode 87, where I chatted with a collector named Tom who had bought in on some of the big name ones early on. But the idea behind them is they're kind of a continuation of the Topps photo shoot autos, where Topps would take pictures of the players at the rookie photo shoot, they'd print them on the spot or print them that weekend, and then have them signed that same weekend. It's kind of like their first pro auto, and it links back to that event, which is a significant event in the card world. So then Panini, um, when they got the card license, and this was from the very start, they started this in 2009. It was in the actual the Panini set that was called Panini. But they took the same idea, and they called them Next Day Autographs. And I even found a blog post from 2013 where they bragged a little about the creation process. They said, 
In a stunning display of expeditious turnaround time, Panini America officials took photographs of the 2013 NBA rookie photo shoot participants last Sunday and had finished trading cards delivered back to the host hotel less than 24 hours later. Each player signed 100 of his special next day cards last Monday for insertion into 2013-2014 Panini basketball later this season. Now, notice they were very specific with the no less than 24 hours later portion because they wanted to keep the integrity of the next day branding. Um, Or take this blog post from 2018 that opens by stating, We've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Panini America's unique NBA rookie photo shoot next day autographs are nothing less than minor manufacturing miracles. Well, we know they're Probably aren't a lot of miracle workers left at Panini, and all kind of went downhill from there. Um, so let's, I mean, let's look at 2020. Obviously, we were in the middle of a pandemic, so we have to have mercy on them. But in 2020, there was no rookie photo shoot. So understandably, there was no next day set. It wasn't logically possible. So I was fine with that. Um, and then I will say, though, you know, they, they seem to still be operating on this kind of COVID schedule. So I was a little shocked when I saw that next day was returning this year. Uh, Now, as Brian and I talked about a few episodes ago, there was a makeshift uh, photo shoot in Vegas this year. And that's where a lot of those awful hoops photos come from, like the one where Chris Duarte has a big shadow over his face. But um, ironically enough, it was Brian that messaged me with a picture of Chris Duarte's next day auto. And it was a Photoshop picture that Brian took from Duarte's college days. So I know the photos definitely aren't next day. And then I got another message from my friend Jason with a picture of a Kai Jones next day redemption on eBay. So redemption. So they're obviously not signed the next day either. At this point, it doesn't seem like there's anything next day about them. For me, the redemption kind of confirmed that it's just an any day auto. And that's perfectly in line with what Panini's been doing this last year or so with the unworn relics, which... By the way, Donruss has more of those. You know, I hate to think that this is the way it's going to be on their way out. We got a few years left here. It's going to seem like a long time, um, especially when we don't hear anything of substance from this company. The media guys that were there have all moved on to bigger and better things, or other things at least. Um, They don't seem to have a presence anywhere. And Steve and I talked about how they were nowhere to be found at All-Star Weekend. They don't do anything to address the mounting product delays. It's kind of, you know, concerning. Um, Now, what did they do during the lockout early in their basketball run? Because that might be a good indicator of, hey, you know, this might be how they would operate now. Um, They cut products. So you would think that cutting products now would be a reasonable course for them too. But instead, they're just going to keep cranking out products because it's a blatant cash grab. Because, you know, I guess all those essential breakers just can't get enough products. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you can't tell, I'm not overly optimistic about the direction that we're heading in. I like the idea of another company taking over. doesn't mean they're going to be any better, but this period in between is looking like um, it's going to be pretty rough. So somehow, some way, I know that all sounded very negative, but I do want to update you on kind of this, this course that Panini's taking. So somehow, some way, we have to find a way to take this negative and turn it into a positive. So for me, I'm trying to get a firm grasp on the things I, that I think are significant. You know, I'm going back and exploring sets I missed out on. That could be from Panini. It could be from manufacturers prior to that. 
and I'm being real selective about the things I'm grabbing from current releases. And I'm going to enjoy the hobby, because there's just too much I like about this to let some of the other stuff drag me down. So uh, all of that is to say I encourage you, in the coming weeks, if you can or if you feel the need to, to undergo a similar process. My name is Dean, aka Pistons Collector on Instagram. You can also find me at Piston Collector on Twitter. I've been looking for a particular card for a while now. Could use some help tracking one down. I'm looking for a 2009 Panini Threads Austin Day RPA out of 700. This is one of those sets that spell out a last name. I currently have a D, an A, and a Y. I'm trying to find the E variation. Also, I'm interested in low-numbered Andre Drummond patch autos for the PC. Big thanks to Kyle for having me on. Okay, thank you, Dean, for giving us a small window into your collecting world. You know, I seem to be surrounding myself with Pistons fans, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Uh, I kid, I kid. I, I actually do enjoy it. Now, this Austin Day card, though, um, which I've seen him ask for that before, it seems like something we should be able to find. I know Dean's been looking for it for a while. Someone out there has to have one. So if you do, please reach out to Dean, or if you need to, reach out to me, and I'll make sure he gets that info. Uh, but like I've said in previous installments, we are going to find the cards that you guys have been hunting for. All right. Before I move into today's mail segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, on to the mail. Well, this first mail day story is a mail day that never happened, unfortunately. The whole process did, but the mail day never happened, and it probably never will, so it shouldn't be surprising that there's quite a bit of backstory to it. Uh, about a month ago, I was doing some lot hunting on eBay, which was nice because I haven't had a lot of time to do that. Um, but I, you know, I was trying to get back into it a little bit. So it's always good when I can do some lot hunting. Well, um, after looking and looking and looking, I found a lot that had a lot of good stuff in it that I liked. It's like a John Wall rookie auto, some graded Durant stuff, a Vince Carter autograph and so on. But it was all very visible, so I wasn't planning on placing any uh, real serious bids. But as I was going through the rest of the pictures, I noticed a Spurs patch of Louis Dampier from Flawless. It's one that I've kind of hoarded over the years. I've got five of them, I think. So, um, you know, I like getting as many of those as I can, so I decided I would make a run for this lot. And I did that with a collection a couple years ago I, where I spent like $400 just to get one card for my PC um, because it was something that I could not easily buy somewhere else. And that left me slowly piecing the rest of the stuff out and at least trying to break even or in some cases make a little money and get the card. And I think actually that $400 collection had a lot of Houston stuff in it. I think that unboxing still on my YouTube channel if you like watching that kind of stuff. But um, I was prepared to do that again here. And I started making conservative estimates of the bigger cards I was going to add all of those up, and then that was going to be my final bid. Well, that total got passed up pretty quick. 
and there was a lot of time left. And as some of you probably know, when you have a card that you want in idle time, and you keep looking at it, that's the key. If you don't just leave it and forget, but you keep looking at it, you start thinking about it more and more, and your totals go up a little. So I raised my bid, and heading into the last 20 seconds, I was winning. Now, I was kind of sweating a little bit because I probably bid more than I could realistically get in return. You know, it wasn't going to ruin me or anything like that, but I was going to have to try and squeeze every nickel out of the lot, and that can be exhausting. So anyway, the clock wound down, you know, 8, 7, 6, 5, and I was outbid. And then, of course, eBay sends you a million notifications to let you know you lost via your email in the app. I think there's something psychological about that. The more they remind you about the loss, the more you want to win in the future. So I think that's intentional. But um, I lost, and I went to bed. But a thought came to my mind when I woke up the next morning. I know. I'm, I'm waking up thinking about cards. I got a problem. But um, anyway, I, I knew that I had bid pretty strong. And flipping everything would have been an absolute chore. And that was the winner's problem now, which wasn't me. I, I did not win. Uh, but I thought, you know what? That person might want to recoup some of his or her cost. So I tried something I didn't think would work. I messaged the seller. I said, good morning. If you don't mind, could you pass my contact info along to the winning bidder of this lot? I would pay $50 for the Louis Dampier patch card. Uh, my Gmail, and I knew <laughs> I knew I had to type it out like G-E-E space M-A-I-L, and then I gave the rest of my email. Um, not that I was doing anything shady necessarily, but eBay flags messages with e email addresses in there sometimes. Um, so, um, like I said, I didn't think it was likely going to work. You know, it would be contingent on a couple of things. Number one, the seller had to be smart enough to decode the little email riddle that I left him. And that could be tough considering, you know, a lot of eBay sellers are morons. And then number two, in the unlikely case that the message gets through to the winner, they have to be willing to sell and ship the card for the price I named, which, you know, I thought was a fair price. I wasn't trying to lowball the guy. Um, well, it turns out this seller was not a moron. He promptly passed the info along, and, and the winning bidder was very easy to work with. He emailed me a couple hours later and wrote, Kyle, as soon as I get the card, I'll sell it to you for $50. Take care and thank you. So, um, you know, he emailed me a few days later. Um, when he had the card in hand, I sent the shipment over. He shipped it out, and the whole transaction seemed like it was going to be uh, pretty flawless. No no pun intended there. Well, um, in fact, I even bragged to Mrs. Wax Museum. I said, wow, you know, I, I lost that lot, and it actually is going to work out in my favor. Well, five days passed, and the card hadn't showed up. I wasn't super concerned at this point, because, you know, it's the Postal Service, but I also wasn't seeing a tracking number show up in my daily USPS email, which, by the way, if you haven't signed up for that, you need to. They scan your mail in every day, send you pictures of it, and then also they, um, they'll they put tracking numbers for cards that are on, on their way to you, which is kind of nice. I get that email at like 8 a.m. every morning. So um, anyway, there wasn't any sign that this package was on its way to me, so I decided to reach out. You know, hey, just wondering if you had a tracking number for this, to which the seller replied, hey, Kyle, I sent it traditional mail. I would imagine it will be there within the next couple of days. And at this point, uh, a few things came to mind. Uh, number one, I sent my money friends and family, um, which, you know, yeah, it's only $50. And just to clarify, the seller didn't ask for me to do that, but I saw that his 
email was linked to a legitimate sports business and I did it to him as a courtesy. I felt like he was doing me a favor. You know, I thought, hey, he seems like a friendly guy. I won't make him incur the fees on this. Well, you know, so before people tell me that was dumb, yeah, I know it was and I did it. Um, And then number two, though, the second thing that came to my mind, why wouldn't you use tracking for a $50 card? Um, I can understand if, you know, if I'm sending a friend a card in the mail, a cheaper card, I might send it PWE, but this is a, a patch card, right? And I and even I bought a, a card off of eBay for a dollar this week, this past week of TJ McConnell, and that came with tracking. So a $50 card, it should come with tracking, but that's what I get for assuming. Um, and then the third thing that I thought, you know, if this thing actually shows up, it's going to be jacked up because he said he, you know, he sent it regular mail. And now that is unless he sent it in a bubble mailer and just didn't take it to the post office. Maybe he slapped a ton of stamps on it, couldn't get to the post office or whatever. So I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because like I said, his business looks like he has a legitimate business. I still think it's a legitimate business. Um, so I asked him, I said, you know, I'm assuming it's going to be coming in a bubble mailer, just no tracking info, question mark. To which he responded, no, it's in a white snail mail envelope and when you pick it up, it will feel very sturdy. The card is in between two thick pieces of cardboard and a top loader. Um, At this point, I knew it was probably a lost cause. A 130-point patch card and two pieces of cardboard in a plain white envelope with no tracking. Doesn't sound good, but he assured me, quote, I'll make you whole if it doesn't show. Don't worry. Um, well, I did worry and, but to his credit though, he did refund me. It wasn't a hassle getting a refund from him. He was, you know, very quick to do that. And he let me know that this was the first time he sent something without tracking and and also the last. Um, so I never felt like he was out to screw me over, but it's just unfortunate because I would much rather have that card than the $50 because I haven't seen, um, one of those Spurs patches in several years now. And, And this was a nice one too. It was almost the entire letter T from San Antonio. So, um, Anyway, you know, great way to start, right? I'm going to say that's the most disappointing thing to ever show up in a mail day segment. Um, Probably trumps the damaged Aaron Holiday optic gold rookie that Probstein sent me. But there are a lot of lessons that one could probably take from this ordeal on both sides. Um, So take that, you know, take from that whatever you you would like. Um, All right. So like I said, that was a sad start to the segment, but I can assure you it gets much better from there. I want to tell you about a few pieces of mail that made me very happy. Um, I'm pretty sure I posted the first one on social media already, but I got my ABA basketball that I ordered from Lana Sports. And that's the one that Scott Tarter talked about in our conversation a couple weeks ago. All of the proceeds go to help the Dropping Dimes Foundation. And when I talked with him, he wanted to make sure that I emphasized it was all of the proceeds, not a part, not a percentage, but all of them. So I want to make sure to grab something from their site. That's why I got the basketball. It's a cause I believe in. Um, I encourage you to do the same if you're in a position um, to do so and you feel so inclined. Now, as far as the basketball itself, I've owned a couple iterations of red, white, and blue balls over the years. And I have to say, I was pretty impressed with the quality of this one. And on top of that, it came in a nice drawstring bag that had the ABA logo and the Players Association logo on it. Like I said, I posted a picture of that on my social media, but I posted a short video of the unboxing on my YouTube channel as well. So if you're on the fence about getting one of these, you might want to check that out and go from there. Okay, 
Another piece of mail I received this week is a TJ Warren flawless patch I won um, on air during last week's conversation with Sholey. And you might remember the moment. I think he was giving, I don't know, some heartfelt anecdote about Celtics legends or 17 rings, blah, 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 right? And then toward the end of that, my eBay timer went off. Now, I had several people message me uh, with a perfectly logical question that people probably should be asking. Why don't you use a sniping service? For those of you that don't know about the sniping, this is where um, people will use software programs to place bids for them in the last couple of seconds. So you know, that way stuff doesn't get bid up early and it you know you don't have to stay awake or you don't have to watch it and you don't have to worry about it. And eBay has made it known that they're fine with these things too. So that's, you know, it's not a, it's not a, an issue like that. So, um, like I said, it's a perfectly logical question, uh, but get ready. You're about to get an illogical answer. I'm just a stubborn guy. You know, I got a new car six months ago after driving the same 2005 Corolla for 11 years. And, uh, early on, Mrs. Wax Museum asked me, why aren't you using your automatic lights? Uh, and I, I don't know. I just like running things on my own. Um, I will say, though, since then, I've succumbed to the automatic lights, and they're very practical. And in the same way, an eBay sniper would be practical, and I'll probably make the switch to one in the future. But for now, I like to set my manual timer and just watch things play out. It makes me feel like I'm in control. Um, although I'm pretty sure that segment gave the impression that I'm not in control at all. But I won it this time. And this flawless patch actually showed up, unlike the Dampier, so that was nice. Now, the patch itself, let's talk about the card here. The patch itself looks to be the top part of one of the A's in Indiana um, from one of their 2020-2021 City Edition jerseys, um, which, by the way, I really like those. Those might be my favorite modern Pacers jerseys because they combine the royal blue of the ABA, the pinstripes of the Reggie Miller era, and then some of the lettering from you know later years. So they look great. Um, but it was only for last year. So I, I remember tweeting about them early on and I said something to the effect of, you know, we are never going to lose in these uniforms. Um, spoiler alert, they did. But uh, the more I got thinking about this patch, though, I realized there was a very small, and I mean it, very, very small window that TJ could have worn this jersey because he, he missed uh, the entire preseason in 2020. And then he played, eventually played four games in December, which was the first month of the new season, before they shut things down for good. So he played four games. So I went back and grabbed the dates of those four games from Basketball Reference. And during that stretch of four games, uh, the Pacers wore four different jerseys. There was a New York game where they wore gold, a Bulls game where they wore navy, um, a win against the Celtics in these same royal blue jerseys, and then another game against Boston, but that time, uh, that game was in white. So, you know, I wish Nike would rein that in a little bit. That's kind of crazy to have four different styles of jerseys in four games, but it is what it is, and in this case, it helped me. So if we can trust the fact that this is game worn, this means that it has to be from the December 27th game against the Celtics, because like I said... Pacers only wore those for one season. He only played in four games. They only wore those for one out of the four games. Um, on top of that, the picture of the card shows him in that uniform, the very same one. So outside of a few sets then where Panini has been intentional to have the game-dated materials and matching pictures, 
I don't think I've ever seen a scenario where a jersey on a, a patch piece can be pinpointed to one game, and then we know that the picture on the card just so happens to be the material that's used in that card. So that got me pretty excited, and as Steve predicted in our conversation, I talked myself into it pretty easily. Um, although, to be honest, I felt like the price was pretty fair for the one listed. So um, the last step for me in verifying everything will be to see if the pinstripe placement on some of the other patches matches up to the actual jersey of the game. I don't have a large enough sample size yet. Um, and if they don't match up, then I guess we have a problem. But um, I'll deal with that then. Okay, um, saving the best for last today. I want to close out with this. About two months ago, I got a message from a listener named Mark, also known as Cram Cards on Instagram, which is Cram is just Mark backwards. He had to explain that to me. Um, and he said, boom, I have a nice Pacers card for you, but it hasn't been delivered yet. I think you'll like it. So that got my attention. And, and before I could even really say too much, he said, want to see? Hold on to your chair. Well, How's that for some buildup, right? At this point, I'm definitely intrigued. And then he sent the pictures, and, and they didn't disappoint. It was a Malcolm Brogdon Mosaic Black 101. I don't even think I'd seen one of the new ones for any player yet, let alone a Pacer or Malcolm Brogdon. So um, better yet, you know, in addition to telling me he's got a card that I might like, he said, I, he, he said I'm sending it to you free of charge, all the way from Australia as my way of supporting the show. Um, which just left me absolutely stunned. And it's funny, he gave me, as this thing was going through the postal system, because it took a long time, um, which I expected, you know, and I'm not going to complain about the free cards and how long they take to get here, but um, he kept giving me updates, which is just funny. You know, I had that card that I paid for early on that didn't even have tracking and no updates. And then I had this gift where the um, the giver of the gift is giving me all these updates along the way. So it's just like, it's awesome customer service from someone I didn't even buy from. So that's you know awesome, awesome. But anyway, um, fast forward a couple months later, I received it this week and this thing is stunning in person. You guys know I've received some incredible gifts from people. This is probably the third or fourth one I've received from Australia now. And you Aussies don't mess around. I love it. Um, so Mark, I know I thanked you privately already. I posted it up on my profile as well, but I just wanted to take a few moments here at the end of today's show to end on a good note and reiterate those sentiments. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That one's definitely staying in the PC. It's the nicest Brogdon card I have by far and an even nicer gesture on top of that. All right. Well, there you have it. I don't feel like there's any way I can follow that gift this week with anything else that will be more important, so I should probably stop there. Maybe there was something I said today that resonated with you, be it about group breaking or lost mail or whatever. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 
hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.